Okay, so today we have a fantastic uh, presentation, a Sunday talk by His Grace Anutama Prabhu um, uh, called Our Many Gurus. Anutama Das is the ISKCON Governing Body Commissioner. He's the go Governing Body Commissioner for our DC Temple and other temples on the Eastern and Midwestern USA. He serves on the GBC, that's the highest <laughs> governing body of our international movement. He serves on the GBC Constitution, Organization Development, Nominations, and Guru Services Committee. He is also the Global Minister for Communications of ISKCON, and as such, he is a publisher of ISKCON News. That's an online uh, newspaper. Anutama serves on the Executive Board of Religions for Peace USA, and the advisory board of the Religious Freedom Institute. Anutama was initiated by Srila Prabhupada, the founder acharya of our ISKCON movement in Vrindavan, India, in 1976. And he has lived here in the DC metro area with his wife, Rukmini Devi, since 1993. So please give Anutama Prabhu, your warm welcome, and uh, thank you all again for being here. Hare Krishna. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, as Ananda Vrindavan mentioned, the topic today is our many gurus. Talking about what is a guru? Do we have gurus? Why do we need gurus? What's the use of a guru? How to not get messed up by a guru? How to not be a fake guru? All of those topics. So, <clears throat> I was going to read to begin with the uh, from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, which is our one of our very important principal scriptures, 11th canto, chapter 7. Uh, text starting with text number 32 and I read <clears throat> a little bit of this first verse and then some of the purport and then several verses afterwards about gurus so I'll just chant the Sanskrit for auspiciousness and you don't need to re repeat I'll just chant it Sri Brahmana Uvacha Shanti Me Guru Vorajan Bahavo Bhujapashrita Yato Bhudhim Upadaya Mukto tamihatan srinu. The Brahmana said, My dear king, with my intelligence I have taken shelter of many spiritual masters. Having gained transcendental understanding from them, I now wander about the earth in a liberated condition. Please listen as I describe them to you. Anybody remember how many gurus he's going to say he has? Those of you that read this section. 24. 24. It's very interesting to see who they are. So I read part of the purport. The purport is by disciples of Srila Prabhupada who continued the later cantos of the Bhagavatam when Prabhupada passed from this world in 1977. So purport. <clears throat> the word Taha in this verse indicates that the Brahmana's spiritual masters did not directly speak to him. Instead, he learned from them by his intelligence. 
In reply to the king, the saintly Brahmana states, so there's a conversation going on here. The Brahmana states, the saintly person says, I do not consider the 24 elements of the physical world as objects of my sense gratification. And therefore, I don't consider accepting or rejecting them. Rather, I accept the material elements as my instructing spiritual masters. Thus, even though wandering throughout the material world, I'm never bereft of service to the guru. Taking shelter of steady intelligence, I travel about the earth constantly engaged on the transcendental platform. By intelligence, I transcend useless desires, and my ultimate goal is the loving devotional service of the Lord. Now, I shall explain to you about my 24 spiritual masters. So we're going to read about a few of them, because this goes over a few chapters, and there's verses in between that get into more detail, but we'll, we'll highlight some of these. So in this first verse, he says about his 24 gurus. Anybody remember who some of those are that's read this previously? Yeah, very interesting sources. So we'll go ahead and read it. O king, I have taken shelter of 24 gurus who are the following. One, the earth. Two, well, I won't number them all. Air, <clears throat> sky, water, fire, moon, sun, pigeon, and python. The sea, moth, honeybee. Anybody seen the fire before, right? The water, the moon. How often we see them as gurus. So he's going to teach us how we can see these objects as gurus. <clears throat> Moth, honeybee, elephant and honey thief. The deer, a lot of deer in Maryland and Virginia, right? Okay, so I don't think we're going to read that. You're going to have to do more research afterwards because I don't think I'm going to get to the deer. The fish, the prostitute, pingala, the kuwara bird, and the child, and the young girl, arrow maker, serpent, spider, and wasp. These are his gurus. My dear king, by studying their activities, I have learned the science of the self. Please listen, O son of Maharaj Yayati, O tiger of men, as I explain to you what I have learned from each of these gurus. So I'll read a few of these. A sober person, even when harassed by other living entities or cell phones or other modern technology. Okay, it's very relevant, Shastra. It's evolving, it's evolving all the time. A sober person, even when harassed by other living beings, should understand that his aggressors are acting helplessly under the control of God. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you ever think you were under the influence of aggressive, or let's use a less abrasive term, obnoxious, pushy, or otherwise irritating people. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that. Well, most of you have perfect lives. You have no difficult people in your boy. I'm going to follow some of you home today because uh, you have a different experience in this world than I do. So those few of us here that ever feel some disturbance by other people, he advises we should understand that those persons are acting helplessly under the control of God, and thus one should never be distracted from progress on their own path. This rule I have learned from the, who do you think, who was the guru that taught him that? Earth, right? So many people trampling on the earth, digging the earth, polluting the earth, but the earth <coughs> remains very tolerant. S explains in the purport, the earth is a symbol of tolerance. Next verse. A saintly person should learn from the mountain to devote all his efforts to the service to, of others. 
and to make the welfare of others the sole reason for their existence. Similarly, second guru, as a disciple of the tree, he should learn to dedicate himself to others. Even a transcendentalist surrounded by innumerable material objects which possess good and bad qualities. However, one who has transcended material good and evil should not become entangled even when in contact with the material objects. Rather, he should act like the, guru number three, wind. Because right? the wind goes everywhere, but it's not affected. Sometimes like it describes in other contexts, sometimes the wind will go through a rose garden, it carries the scent of the roses, and then it goes over a garbage dump, it seems to carry the scent of the garbage, but actually it's not affected by any of these things, it's above it all. So we should act like the wind. And a couple more here. <clears throat> One should never indulge in excess affection or concern for anyone or anything, excess. Emphasize the word on the word excess. Otherwise, one will have to experience great suffering, just like the foolish pigeon. Next guru, the pigeon. We won't get into the story. Um, if you don't have an 11th Canto Bhagavatam at home, you should buy one before you go home so you can fill in all the details. A saintly person should accept only enough food to keep his body and soul together. He should go from door to door accepting just a little bit of food from each family Thus, he should learn to practice the occupation of the, what guru? Honeybee. Lakshman had that. Lakshmiban had that. Just as the honeybee takes nectar from all flowers, so it's a two, two lessons from the bee. Just as the honeybee takes nectar from all flowers, big and small, an intelligent human being should take the essence from all religious scriptures. Again, the honeybee. And I think one more I wanted to read here. Let's see, there's, there's, again, several chapters. It goes through all, all 24, describes about the fish. Here's one with the fish. Just as a fish, excited by the desire, incited by the desire to enjoy his tongue, is fatally trapped on the fisherman's hook. It's like we live near a little lake. There's a couple that goes out there like every other day with their four or five fishing poles. And the only fish in there like really big and really gross. And I've never seen him catch one. I hope he never does because I'm afraid if he does, he might take a moment and eat it. And I can't imagine how gross it would be to eat a little a fish out of a gross pond. It's basically runoff from Maryland suburbs. But anyway, he's trying to catch the fish. So how do they catch the fish? They put something on the hook that's described here. The fish is fatally trapped on the, hushman, the, hook, the fisherman's hook. Similarly, a foolish person is bewildered by the extremely disturbing urges of the tongue and is thus ruined. People eat. I mean, look at the whole world today, right? We're running out of space. We're running out of resources. And if you read about it, you know, what, what, where's most of Like, why are they tearing down all the trees in the Brazilian rainforest, right? Everybody knows? What's the main reason? Meat, and, meat industry for, to raise cattle. They cut the forest. They graze cattle for a few years. But then by the very nature of it, it doesn't last very long. They have to go further and further and further. So in so many ways. So I'll go back and read this first part of this purport, and then we'll discuss a little bit. I do not consider the 24 elements of the physical world as objects of my sense gratification. Therefore, I don't consider accepting them or rejecting them. Right? Like a materialistic person accepts everything. I mean, try to enjoy everything in this world. Some people on a spiritual path, they renounce everything. I don't want to have anything to do with this world. Go to the Himalayas and sit in a cave. He says, rather, I accept the material elements as my instructing spiritual masters. Bhakti understanding. 
Even though wandering throughout the world, I am never bereft of service to the guru. Taking shelter, steady intelligence, I travel about the earth, constantly engaged on the transcendental platform. By intelligence, I transcend useless material desires, and my ultimate goal is the loving devotional service of the Lord. So that's the realization. So I'll discuss this a little bit. First of all, I think everybody knows it's Easter Sunday. We just went to a family thing this morning, and uh, every church is jam-packed. You notice all the parking lots are full? So it's a very, very sacred day for our Christian friends. This is the day they understand historically that Jesus rose from the dead. He was crucified on Friday and uh, rose from the dead, they understand, on today. So it's a very sacred and auspicious day for Christians. Uh, gives them the conviction that there is life after death. And um, so it's a very important day. So as Vaishnavas... We also offer our obeisances to Lord Jesus Christ on this auspicious day. It reminds us that uh, Srila Prabhupada was asked, on several occasions, but one in particular, he was asked by some uh, Catholic priests when he was in Australia. So what do you think of Jesus? Prabhupada said, he is our guru. Our Acharya says, he is our guru. So in Vaishnavism, um, one of the things pointed out, one of these, with the bee, right? The bee takes essence of religious understandings gives example we should be like that as humans take the essence of religious teachings from all traditions so as Vaishnavas we don't want to be sectarian we don't want to think in a sectarian way but we want to try to appreciate all of God's representatives and we understand different teachers acharyas sons of God avatars they come sometimes the Lord himself comes to teach people uh, different times and circumstances, or what they can, as much as they can possibly understand. So we represent, uh, we, uh, we 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 appreciate that, and we uh, we appreciate their teachings. So today's topic is uh, our many gurus. So first, what is a guru? So Krishna, Krishna gives the m- most important instruction, perhaps fourth chapter Bhagavad Gita, famous verse: Tadvidhi pranipatina pari sevaya. Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master, inquire from him submissively, and render service unto him. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge unto you because they've seen the truth. So, very, very important. If we want to have actual knowledge of our position, who we are, why we're here, why we have to grow old, some of you, Perhaps they're not growing old. Most of us here have to admit they are growing old. Just told Navi Kishore, I was thinking, wow, I knew him when he was a kid. He didn't have any gray hair. And I thought, he's probably looking at me thinking, wow, I knew him when he was middle-aged. He didn't have that much gray hair. Or maybe he's thinking he used to have hair. Something like that. So the time factor is there for all of us. <clears throat> so gurus are there created by God. He sends them for our benefit to help us develop spiritual knowledge, and to help us connect with God. Sometimes, even those that have accepted a spiritual path, they may become a little hung up in this concept that this is my guru, and that's your guru, your guru is different than mine, etc. But in Vaishnavism, Prabhupada says many times, guru is one if they are an authorized guru, if they're actually serving the function of guru, and that they're bringing everyone ultimately to the lotus feet of God. So in our tradition, we understand there's many kinds of gurus. There's the Chaitya Guru, which is most important, which means God in the heart, Chaitya Guru. There's the Diksha Guru. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that term, Diksha Guru. Okay. Diksha Guru means the initiating guru. 
in our line, a certain stage of spiritual commitment, one may decide to take formal vows. At that point in time, one accepts a diksha guru or an initiating spiritual master. Also, there's the siksha guru. What's the siksha guru? Good. Siksha guru, one, one who gives instruction. And it's described that the process is, is ideally we only, we only have one diksha guru who formally accepts initiation. But we can have many, many siksha gurus. In fact, we should have many siksha gurus. And here in the Shastra, this Brahmana, he is identifying his 24 siksha gurus who weren't even humans. Some of them were humans, but many of them were not even humans. So uh, the siksha guru, there's, if one if small percentage of people accept sannyas order, renunciatory of life, they have a sannyas guru. It's described that our first gurus are who? Those of you from India should all know this. Who's your first guru? Mother and father, right? Your mother and father. <clears throat> What's the term wife guru? Was there a Sanskrit word for that? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. This one has yet to be created, but we, I'm sure it's there. Guru? Guru Patni. Okay, good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll write the BBT, make sure they put that in the next, the next edition. Yes. So there's so many different gurus in our lives that are meant to help us make spiritual progress. So here, this uh, Avadutta Brahmana, he's identifying his 24 gurus, and he's seen in a very broad way. And I thought it was important to discuss this because um, this is such an essential principle that he's seeing guru is all these entities from the earth to the trees to the honeybees to the prostitute to the pigeon who brought him closer to knowledge of God. So again, in that purport, it describes that this part of it, this one, one sentence is so beautiful. We should not see this world as a place of our enjoyment, but rather we should accept things of this world, the material elements, as instructing spiritual masters. So I thought that's really a beautiful vision and something that we, as spiritual aspirants, we should try to cultivate this vision. Generally, people see the world, it's a big place of enjoyment. You know, there's all kinds of billboards on the road, right? Telling us, go here, fly here, buy this, buy that. And people, they work very hard. They go to school. Like, I have my granddaughter's home for her spring break. So she's there. She's at Tulane University. Generally, the students, it's, you, you, you go to university. You work very hard. You get a good degree so that you can get a good job, so that you can make a lot of money, so you can buy things to make you happy. Isn't it? That's basically the philosophy. And of course, if you get good education, good degree, like, you know, if you read, I don't read these papers anymore. I used to see them online sometimes. Probably hasn't changed much, right? Many of you maybe get these papers. Um, educated, Gujarati girl, top student, PhD candidate, looking for the same. <laughs> yeah? From the laughter, I can tell they're still making those ads, right? Right? And uh, what's the idea? Because you're looking for a highly educated PhD medical student, Gujarati, who are the other gender with a spouse to make you happy, right? There's an understanding. Well, we all know if you walk into like a car dealership or any place else where they have decent salespeople, the whole, the whole spirit of the thing is buy this car and you'll be happy, right? Vacation patches are all about buy this thing and be happy. I mentioned this before, and it's such a classic example. I went one time to one of those... Um, um, Vacation timeshare things, you know, where they try to tell you to, you know, buy in one week and a, 
It's all, it's just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. <clears throat> but then I was, you know, you, they, you still hear this on the radio. You hear announcements from the like Smith, Smith, and Smith Esquires. If you signed a contract to a timeshare and you can't get out of it, and you realize that it's basically they're saying it's making you miserable and it's a waste of your money, call us. We'll get you out of that contract. You know, they don't say this, but it's like for an extra, you know, $3,000, we'll make you happy. Breaking the contract with these people who falsely promised they'd make you happy. So, uh, generally, <laughs> this is basically, you know, this is, it's, this, the, it's, the, it's the consciousness of the whole world, isn't it? I mean, it's just a sense that, yeah, I mean, obviously, how can anybody question that? But that we're here to try to enjoy in this world. And even many religious people think like that. They come to the temple or the mosque or the gurdwar or the synagogue or wherever they go, and if there's prayer is there, dear God, please let me get a good grade. Please let me get a good house. Please let me get a good wife. Please let me, you know, you know get, let me have a good vacation. Let me get the best deal on the Christmas bargains at Target the week after the holidays, you know. It's Black Friday. Please, Lord, please don't let anybody be in front of me between me and that TV set that I have to buy. Isn't it? I mean, that's like, you know. And I mean, and that's good. It's described in the Bhagavad Gita. That's great, you know, that people want, they come and they, dear God, I, I need help. That's described as really kind of like a, the first and the very, very critical step to making spiritual progress. I need help. I'm dependent. I'm not independent. I need some help. Um, a little further down the road is when one starts understanding, you know, Black Friday, I got there Thursday night, although these days we're making more progress. You can even shop on Thanksgiving Day, right? So I got there. It used to be you had to wait till Friday. I got there at midnight. I was only the fourth one in line. I bought the thing I needed. I got it home. It didn't work, but still they fixed it. They sent it back to me within two weeks, and now it's working fine. And when I turn it on, it's the same old movies. It just looks a little different, and they don't make me happy. Right? I mean, that's kind of the actual, that's the actual experience. So when one starts having enough of those experiences, one starts thinking, is there maybe something else? And that's when you run into like Hare Krishnas with books in Silver Spring. Or we used to do a lot in the airports. Some people didn't like that. Or you run into your, you know, your Christian friends waving the Bible on the street. Or so many other varieties of ways. Maybe we, we go some some holy place. You meet a sadhu. They always make fun of that in the cartoons. People climbing to the top of the mountain to meet the sadhu. Who, at least in the cartoon version, never has anything particularly important to say. But ideally they would. And that message, whether it's the Christian with the Bible or the Hare Krishnas with the book or the Sadhus, the message is always the same at its core, which is you're not meant to be here. That's your problem. You're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place and you got to get out. The problem is each and every one of us, we have our desire. And our desire is, but I kind of like this place because I can be the boss. I mean, I have a temporary boss, but I can quit my job anytime. That's why I'm working on my resume every day, Right? And this day and age, in this culture, of course, you, you never stay in a place more than a couple of years. You're always moving, right? Why are you moving? Because you're looking for something better. Right? That expression, the grass is always greener. Philosophically minded people are meant to ask the question, why do I always think, why do I think and we think, everybody seems to think that grass is always greener? Like it's always interesting to see how somebody's really excited to buy the new house that the other person's moving out of because they decided they weren't happy there. But it's going to make you happy. And of course, the funny thing about this material, well, Rukmina had the same experience. 
don't know if some of you have moved before, maybe the same thing. You move out of the house, it was never as good as it is the day you move out. Because you get it repainted, new carpeting, new appliances, new lights. We had to change the sliding door. You know, everything was brand new. I looked around the house thinking, gosh, I wish it looked this good when we lived here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, there was a TV show called The Little Rascals. It was like made in the 40s, and they were like doing replays when I was a kid. One of their jokes, it's just such a class. For, for me, it's like, wow, that's the material world. When the kids wanted to go someplace across town, they would come out and like 10 of them would jump in their little cart. And they had a donkey tied up who was just sitting there completely uncooperative, didn't want to move at all. But they had a carrot on a stick. And they would lower the carrot in front of the donkey who would see the carrot and he'd walk, he'd take a step to the carrot. Because the stick's attached to his back, every time he takes a step, the carrot moves. So the donkey just takes off, full speed. And using the technology that was available at that time, which is speeding up the film, that's about all they could do in those days. They would show them like going super fast and the, you know, the donkey's feet moving really. And then they get to where they want to go, they lift up the stick, the donkey stops. He's not moving another step without a carrot. <laughs> so that's what life is like in this material world. According to the Avadutta Brahma and the other great explanations of the scripture. And it's not that, you know, it's sometimes people only hear half of a bhakti lesson or a Hare Krishna lecture and think, oh, you guys are pessimistic. No, 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 no. We are, we, are we are the greatest optimists. We just say, don't look in the wrong place. You know, there's a joke about the man that lost his keys and uh, at night it was dark and uh, he was out in the street looking like his, he was out in the street and his wife was inside wondering what's going on. She came out and said, what are you doing? He said, I lost my keys. And she said, let me help you. Where'd you lose them? He said, over there in the, in, in the driveway. And she said, why are you looking in the street? He said, because there's lights out here. It's easier to look. <laughs> so it's easier to look for, for happiness in the material world because it's right in front of us. I just got to take one more step, like the donkey. Just one more step, one more step, one more step. One of my favorite quotes, I believe it was the first of the Rockefellers, fabulously wealthy, like, you know, the... Tesla owner of the day, or you know, these great people, Facebook founders, and like all these people, so much money. And they asked me, he said, how much money is enough? I said, classic answer. How much money is enough? He thought about it, and then he said, just a little bit more. <laughs> so you're making $70,000? If I could only have eighty-five, You're making eighty-five. dollars uh, I really need this promo. I need one hundred and five. Right? As soon as you get 105, you think about the guy down the hall that's got a little better office who's making 125, right? Isn't it? It just, that's the way, that's the way of the materialistic mind. So intelligent, thoughtful persons, not just intelligent, thoughtful persons are meant to ask, wait a minute, what kind of trick is this? Well, we went to this uh, timeshare thing, and they were like, you know, when they go, people go to sign up and they're like playing Beatles music because they're old people, so they still know what Beatles mean. And they have like one of those disco balls like in the middle of the room shining. That like the whole thing's like, wow, it's like being in a, in a bar, like, you know, dance. And they're just trying to get people to sign the contracts. It was so high pressure. And I told our guy, I said, you know, I said, can I talk to the manager? He said, why? Well, I, I just want to talk to him. So I said, yeah, sure. So he took me back down the hall to talk to the manager. I went up to the manager and said, how do you look in the mirror in the morning? I said, you're selling people a bunch of stuff they don't want for more than they can afford. 
You're creating this whole passionate environment. And you know you're just making people miserable in the name of making them happy. How do you live with yourself? He, I don't remember, he gave some dumb answer. And then he said, well, you went through the process. You get three free days at a hotel. I said, I don't want your stupid hotel. Don't you realize what you're doing? So the material world is like that. So let's describe these examples. The moth. His guru is the moth. Why? Because the moth flies too close to the flame and gets extinguished. So if we're not careful, we get too close to the materialistic impulses, we get extinguished. If we look around the world these days, people get too caught up in nationalism, extinguished. Too caught up in sensual desires, extinguished. There was an article just this week in the New York Times, excuse me, New York Times probably too, Washington Post. Great headline, it said, no, it's not true. Moderate drinking is not good for you. Anybody, anybody see that? You tell your friends or tell yourself if you need to remind yourself. Study of 5 million people. That's a big study. 5 million people determined that it's absolutely a fact. Not even a little bit of alcohol is good for you. Now, you know, they knew that 5,000 years ago when they composed the Bhagavatam, but there's been a lot, of, a lot of advertising agencies at work since they printed the Bhagavatam. Trying to convince people, no, a little bit's good. It's good for your heart, good for your stomach, good for your brain. Good, oh, You can mellow out at the end of the day. No, no. It increases the risk. It describes in the article. increases the risk of disease and increases the, 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 the death rate. Just a little bit of drinking. Okay? But, you know, meanwhile, you hang out with your friends. If you have any friends that drink, they'll always talk about what you just said. Oh, we had a great time. Yeah, we don't. We drank. But after the fact, before the fact, during the fact, they're not happy. There's not increasing the happiness. It's just, again, the moth and the flyer. The bee, learning from the bee. Just take a little bit, learn to be happy. The earth, don't, don't be distracted, be tolerant. The tree, be a servant to others. So in this way, it's such a beautiful vision. In this way, the whole world becomes our gurus. Life becomes exciting because at every moment, there's a chance to learn something new about myself in the spiritual context, and learn about God, where I've come from, where I'm going, why I'm passing through, how I can actually be happy, why there's suffering in this world, and what the solution to it is. Otherwise, if we don't learn to see the world like that, we're forced by our sense to see, oh, maybe that'll make me happy. Oh, oh, look at that dress. Wow, I have one just like that, but not that exact same shade of blue. Maybe that one will be the, the, just the perfect addition to my closet that'll make me happy. You see? Or I just got a promotion. Yeah, wow, that was great. But you know, you know, like being the assistant to the assistant to the assistant to the vice president, I, I really want to be the assistant to the assistant to the vice president. Then I'll be happy. It's just, it's, it's, and it's not just us. The thing is, it's scary. It's actually scary because the whole world is saying, no, 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 this is what life's about. And there's a small percentage of people, whether they're Christian or Vaishnava, whatever, there's a small percentage of people that are seriously practicing their spiritual path. They're seriously open to the message of their gurus. They're seriously willing to consider what they see all around them, and therefore they're thinking there must be something else. And those people who are thinking there must be something else, they find other people who say, yeah, there must be something else in my heart. I know there must be something else. A graphic example, I remember I was a college student before I became a devotee, and I was, went back to visit some friends, and I saw a guy that I used to know kind of a wild guy, and it was at an art fair, and he was like, there was a lot of, it was Ann Arbor, Michigan, young college place, you know, even in those days, people didn't wear a lot of clothes in the summer. These days, it continued that, that trend. 
So I was, I was talking to this guy, how are you doing? Everything's fine. And he, he was like looking around, looking around, looking around, looking around. And uh, he, had a, he had a button. I remember he had a button on his, on his pants or his, his coat. So it said, sex release frustration. It was like advertising. Hi, I'm a frustration reliever. He was like a very lusty guy. And he actually said to me, he said, you know, he said, there's so many beautiful women here. Forgive me, but Christian wants us to know the truth. He said, I'm having sex with five women Five, but there's so many more. I could see this man was totally frustrated. I mean, look at the crazy political circus that's going on in this country right now. I mean, it's ridiculous. Talk about unrestricted lust for power and for women, for a man or for men for women or whatever. Um, that's the material illusion. So this great acharya, this great guru in the Bhagavatam, is explaining to us that we should learn to see things a little bit differently and learn to see that whatever opulence in this world is like, wow, there's a really beautiful person. That's a reflection of what God looks like. And I can purify my heart and see God. There's, a, there's, there's some, some, some disturbing thing in my life. This is wonderful because this disturbance gives me a chance to become free, a chance to calm my mind, to change my mind. There's some dangerous situation. Oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to realize the seriousness of this world so I can focus my mind on other things, even disease. We all face disease sometimes in life. So this is an opportunity for us to remember Krishna, to remember God, um, and to see that um, this isn't where it's supposed to be. Somebody angers us. Somebody offends us. Oh, it's either an opportunity to get angry and to get bitter and to seek revenge, which is what a lot of people do in the world, or it's an opportunity to say, thank you, dear Krishna, for giving me this opportunity to try to become humble, to try to become tolerant, to try to become peaceful, to try to not blame others. So, in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, explains that there's, there's two purposes in this world. One is for the souls to satisfy their desires. God created this whole playground. It's a big universe. 8,400,000 different species of life. We can try them all. We can try every one of them. That's there. It's also an opportunity to reconnect with God. Some places describe the world like a prison house. So the prison house is a place where you put people that don't want to make, so they don't make trouble. But it's also a place to be reformed. So we also have that choice. Do I want to be reformed in my heart? Or do I just need to stay here so I don't make trouble for others? So when we experience frustration, as we all do, or problems, or sometimes depression, sometimes doubt, sometimes despair, this is a very important message. We'll end with this from our tradition. We shouldn't think as the world makes us think there's something wrong with you. That's the way the materialistic society makes you think. You're not being successful. You're still, you, you know, you got a new job, but you're still a little depressed. Or you made more money, but you're still feeling some sense of despair. Or there's feeling some sense of, un, of not being fulfilled. There must be something wrong with you. You need a drink or maybe you need a shrink. <laughs> right? Right? Whatever you do, don't think. See, whereas the sadhus, the saintly people say, wait a minute, you don't need to drink. Maybe you need to shrink, but that's okay. After the shrink, start thinking. You really need to be thinking, why are we here? Where have we come from? And if we feel uncomfortable, then that's actually good. That's a good sign because that gives us the impetus to question. Why am I here? Where have I come from? Is there a God? Why is there a God? Why do I have to grow old? So many things. Why is there suffering? It gives us an opportunity to become aware and it gives us the opportunity to make changes. When we're pushed sometimes, 
That's when change comes. So when we, when we get some impetus, this world, there's something wrong here that gives us impetus. Maybe I should read that spiritual book. Maybe I should visit the temple or the mosque or the synagogue or whatever it is and, and learn from our many, many gurus and take some proper steps towards Krishna, take some steps towards God. And as Prabhupada said, and it became one book, he said, in our tradition, just chant and become happy. By the spiritual process, that's actually where happiness comes. Slowly, slowly, gradually, gradually, one realizes there's something tangibly better. I like to have this expression, you've been sold a bill of goods, you know? We've been sold a bill of goods, but we want the real thing. We want spiritual life. We want God. So I'll stop there. First, because I finished my notes. Second, because the temple present is slowly, graciously moving this way, <laughs> which means time is up. Can we take a few questions? Oh, one. Please make it a really good one. Well, first of all, thank you for the wonderful class. How do you all? How do you all? Yes. Such a wonderful class, Prabhuji. It was really wonderful. Uh, the question is, uh, there is some basic requirement in life, human life, or anybody's life for that matter. Uh, so obviously, we do not want to go for the carrot. But what is the basic minimum that we should have so that, I'm um, say, we can be... I could, uh, whether, whether the question should be I should be happy or that I should be able to leave, basically. Yeah, well, one thing, our tradition and our teachers, when they're doing their job, and the scriptures don't give specifics. Because we understand every living entity is independent and thoughtful and has the capacity to answer those questions themselves. Um, empowered by spiritual principles. So we're giving principles. You know, there's no, it doesn't say anywhere, okay, you know, you're a Krishna devotee living in Maryland or Virginia in 2022. You only need a three and a half bedroom house. More than that is Maya. It doesn't say that. What it says is simple living in high thinking. So it varies. I mean, if you're, you know, like in our society, if you're Ambarish Prabhu, Alfred Ford, son of, you know, whatever his great grandson of Henry Ford, your simple living may be different than other people. If you're older, what you need may be different from other people. If you're younger, what you need may be different from other people. But the basic principle is that I should try to maximize my spiritual activities and my spiritual contact and minimize or simplify my materialistic. I mean, I, you know, I have a house. I, you know, I do laundry. You know, I, I can tell you Trader Joe's has a better price than Mom's does. For, I know, I know a few things like that. I know how to function in the world. You know, but we don't get carried away with those things, you know, because you can buy a washing machine, or you can buy a better washing machine, or a really good washing machine, or a really, really good, you, you know, it, it just, it, it goes on forever, or you can make enough money, you don't have to do the washing machine, somebody else does the laundry, but then you have to get mad at them because they ruined your best shirt, it's like, wow, what's with this world, so the principle is there, simplify, 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 and try to magnify and increase your spiritual activity, and, and that requires prayer and thoughtfulness and sometimes a bit of, a bit of you know, trial and error. You know, I, I, I tried this, that didn't work, so let me... But we should always be endeavoring in that direction. And Krishna will help us. Is that okay? Because he's a person and he wants to see us make that effort. God's a person. And if we make the effort, Prabhupada describes in some purpose, for every one step we take towards Krishna, towards God, he takes ten steps towards us. Ten. Okay? Yeah. 
Merci. 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 Merci.